Good evening, church family. As we begin our time, I have an opening introduction that's unrelated to Psalm 11. But when you hear the word God, what comes into your mind? God. Do you think of a doctrine, an idea, or do you think of a person? If you think of a person, what type of person do you think of? One who's a little bit like us, just a little bit bigger. The knowledge of God is a, a topic that our, um, we had a small group meet in our home this summertime on the, uh, the Behold Your God study. And part of the study on the front of the cover of the book, at least the first edition book, it said this quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, what comes into our minds, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. And when I first heard that, I really didn't understand really what that meant. But I think that what he's getting at is that what, our, what comes into our mind of our understanding about who God is, is foundational to all of our actions. Just like in any of anything in life, what we think about determines our actions. And certainly one of the greatest influence of our actions is our understanding of who God is. So... I was thinking about that in preparation for what I could bring and share with us tonight, and I realized that one of the things I desired for my own heart is for biblical change, but the foundation of which is the knowledge of God. We need to know God. We need to know of what he's like. This is in the lines with 1 Peter 1, 2, and 3, where it says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And then it, later on it says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of him. So the knowledge of God is not a side issue, a way that we begin the Christian life and then we move on to other things. It is foundational to our Christian lives. And so I bring that up by means of introduction because tonight we are going to be studying or just really reflecting for a few moments upon the person of God, particularly seen through his works. So you can turn in your Bibles to, actually, let's say a word of prayer first. I know Jeff already prayed, but we'll pray and then we'll turn to the scriptures. Great God in heaven, you are great, as we just sang in that psalm. And we sing praises to you. Would you help us all here tonight to have a greater, fuller, a better understanding of who you are and your greatness, and that that would change the way that we live. For your honor and your glory, we pray. Amen. Okay, if you haven't done so already, Psalm 111. Now, this is a acrostic psalm. If you read or spoke Hebrew, you'd understand that each of the verses, um, lines corresponds with a, it's kind of an ABCs. So there's not a, a, a huge particular order of the psalm, but it is an acrostic psalm whose theme is the works of the Lord. So children, that is the word that we're going to say multiple times tonight, the works of the Lord. And it's, it occurs in about half of these verses that I'm about to read. So as I read along, you can look for the descriptions of, of what the Bible says are descriptions of God's works. 
So follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 1. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of the Lord, or the works of, of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Praise the Lord. The three main categories uh, that we're going to be talking about tonight are the works of the great works of God in creation, providence, and redemption. We're going to talk about those in a few minutes, but before we do so, we're, uh, we're going to look at the first two verses by means of introduction. It's kind of, you could start the psalm this way or end it. It's going to be part of the application of what we should do in light of who God is. So let's just look at verse one. Praise the Lord. So as you say that, is, is that just an expression? Oh, maybe that's something you say sometimes when something goes well. Or is it the outflow of your heart? If it's not the outflow of your heart, take heart, because as we study the works of the Lord, hopefully by the end of tonight, you'll be able to say with out of the more of the depth of who you being of your being, praise the Lord. Here we're, we're urged to command the Lord, uh, praise the Lord. We're commanded to praise the Lord. Why? Well, uh, we praise God for who he is. Uh, you know, his attributes of, of, of who he is, in, in, independent of what he has done for us, we can always praise the Lord for who he is. And the works that we're going to look at tonight are going to be a reflection of God and who he is. But then the second part of verse 1, where it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So praise for who God is in this person, but then thanksgiving. When you thank someone, why do you thank them? Normally because it's something that they've done for you. It's something how it's affected you. So some of our thanksgiving, we want to distinguish between the two, praising God for his person and thanking God for the things he's done for us. Because amazingly, the God who is worthy to be praised is involved in our lives. And he does things in our lives here to yesterday, today, and forever. So he is, there's many things that we can thank God for. Uh, and at the end of verse one, where it says in the company of the upright in the congregation. So I'm going to say in the church, and we're going to be able to put this into practice later this evening after, after we, uh, hear the rest of this Psalm, uh, we're going to have a, a season of prayer where we can do this, where we can praise the Lord for who he is. We can thank the Lord in, in public, uh, in the 
congregation or in the church. So we get to put this into practice here in a little bit. So um, if you're like me, and as I said before, if this does not outflow or overflow in your lives more of of praising God and thinking about the Lord, it's not going to come easy or natural. It's something that's going to have to take intentionality and work. It's going to involve filling our minds with truth, choosing a, a biblical outlook and a view of this world and on life. And I think as we do so, that, that's my main encouragement for us tonight. It is going to be to consider the works of the Lord. Um, and I think as we intentionally fill our minds with thoughts of who God is and what he has done, it's going to lead us to be to, for thanksgiving and for praise to God. So in verse 2, this is my uh, main verse tonight where it says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. So we're going to see how all of God's works are great. And although our three categories of God's works don't mention specifically in this psalm, theologians break up the works of God into three categories. The creation, God's creation, God's providence, and God's redemption. Now, there's other ways that we could categorize that, but um, that is going to be our, our outlook tonight. But the second half of verse 2, where it says, studied by all who delight in them. We all study things, right? Whether you used to in school, my children right now are studying. We're studying some things of science, which is actually one of the things that led me to this psalm and this topic tonight, seeing some of the works of the Lord in creation. Uh, But we all study something. But the scripture uh, says that we are to study the works of the Lord. We're to study God. And so just as an encouragement for both you and I, church family, we need to study the scriptures. We need to intentionally set apart time. We did it for school. Um, We haven't graduated from the, the school of learning about God. So this is uh, what God has called us to in the pursuit of him. And, uh, and actually, children, if you think that you can graduate from school, actually for all of eternity, we will be in the school of God. We will be studying him, gazing upon him, and, and never being able to finish the last page. He is infinite in his character. And so we better start studying now because there's a lot to learn about God. Uh, rightly understood. So uh, as, we, as we work through, though, we want to remember that in our studying, we don't want to just study doctrines or things that are intellectual. We, we want to remember, as I began our sermon, God is a person. He is a, a real person who is to be known, who is to be loved, who is to be worshipped. Um, I love the phrase in the scripture, the living God. He is the living God. He's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the apostles. He is the living God here and now who is still involved in our lives. Praise the Lord. I love that. So that was all by means of introduction. So we're now going to look at our first point, God's creation. And I'm going to alliterate like a good disciple of our pastor. We're going to consider creation. So consider creation. And if you noticed in some of our reading, I'm just going to reiterate just a few times some of the things that describes as uh, the works of the Lord. So verse 2, it says great. Verse 3, full of splendor or majesty, or we could say splendid or majestic. 
We can see in verse 4 that, it, he's, uh, that they're gracious and merciful. Verse 6, powerful. Verse 7, faithful and just. So, point one, the creation of the Lord. This is the first work described of God, right? Randy just taught on this in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Now, that is so fundamental and foundational to our understanding of this world, or it ought to be. But I think we can sometimes be so familiar with it that we fail to slow down and think about it. And I think that's another benefit of having children, where you're having to explain things and think about it. It kind of takes you back to simplicity, to think that God, that before God or before creation, there was nothing, nothing. You can't even think of nothing. You can't, all you think of maybe is darkness. There wasn't even darkness because there was nothing. But yet God, out of nothing, spoke and created everything. I mean, we could just stop right there. God's great works of creation. Uh, Randy used ex nihilo. You know, out of nothing, God created everything. I mean, what power? What power to be able to do that? Uh, frequently at our dinner table, we talk about God, uh, mommy making dinner. And sometimes I try to be precise with our language. And I say, well, actually, she just prepared dinner because she didn't actually make dinner because, you know, God made the foods and the ingredients and we just kind of prepare them. But really anything that's man-made, everything, and it's hard to consider God's creation in this modern era because so much stuff is man-made, but really at the root of it, you break it down and it's all God-made. You look at the, the metal and you think, God made that metal in the earth as ore. Um, you see rubber, you think, okay, that came from oil. That came from more than likely the great flood when God uh, condemned the world uh, with water. Um, Everything that we see here, the paper from the trees that God has sustained with the world, everything God made in the beginning. In six days, six literal days, God spoke and everything that we see came into being. We should just pause and say, praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Um, so we see all throughout the scripture, God, that the Psalms are full of praise to the Lord for his creation. And I think we ought to do the same. Uh, I think we ought to intentionally bring it into our minds when we're driving, when we're out and about, consider the works of the Lord in creation. But then the next step that we're going to be doing after the end of each section is, what does this teach me about God? Because again, around our dinner table, we think about food and, um, we talk about it. So just, I mean, maybe an exercise at your own dinner table next time. When you are eating and enjoying food, you can ask yourself the question, what does this tell me about God? And you'd be really surprised to think that God is in his creativity with um, all the variety. You have his taste buds. I mean, he's so kind to us in giving us uh, all these things. Um, The wisdom of God of taking food. I mean, we can take donuts and have energy with them. I mean, how cool is that? We eat donuts, output energy. Pretty cool. I mean, just the way that God has, has formulated and designed our bodies. So, and God's uh, great works of creation. Romans 1, uh, 20, one, a familiar verse. It says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that are made. So God's power, we see God's power in creation. We see his divine nature 
in creation. And uh, I think not, not only are, do we, will we see it in this earth, but in the new creation, in the new world, I think for eternity we're going to marvel at God's creativity. I mean, scientists can't get to the end of, you know, the one vein of uh, thing that they're studying, whether it's DNA or whether it's the human eye. You know, you have to have specific doctors because the human body is so complex. This is what God made. This is who God is. So I want to share a few examples here. You can write some of them down or just consider it for a moment as we are simply just considering creation. Uh, So God's uh, great works are vast. Consider for a moment the size of the universe. We don't even actually, we haven't gotten to the end of the known universe. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. The, The size of the known universe is 63 billion light years in diameter. Now, in case it's been a while for you, a light year is how fast travels how fat, how long it is that light travels in a year. Light, though, travels really fast. In one second, it can go around the whole globe seven and a half times. That is really fast. Randy's putting out the miles per hour over here, 186,000. So really, really fast. But just can, the God's vastness of his universe, the whole known universe, again, because we can't even see all of it, We can't even comprehend 93 billion light years away. God's great works are um, excellent. I love, um, the Bible frequently talks about the sun and the moon. And my my children, again, have been studying that. The sun, a ball of fire in the sky that is so large that things are drawn to it with gravity, but yet not to the point to where everything's sucked into it and consumed. So you have this huge ball of fire in the sky that God has made uh, to give us light so that we can see, uh, to give us growth to our trees. Again, we know these things, but to consider God designing all these things for our own benefit. Um, But if you had the sun and you didn't have the moon, we would be either in a desert or we'd be scorched. Because amazingly, a little science lesson here, but I think we're considering God's creation. God made the, the, the uh, globe perfectly tilted, right? The, the 23 degrees tilt. And so with that, I don't know if anyone knows, because of that, we have our four seasons. And so with that, and, but the moon uh, helps to keep the earth in a tilt. Because if not, just like a top, if you spun it, it would end up, you know, end up going upright. And so coupled with the moon, we have the tilt of the earth that keeps us to have the four seasons so that we're comfortable. So that we have the, uh, we don't just have summer all the time and we're cooked. Or we don't just, we're a part of a globe that's just cold all the time and we get too cold. In fact, the sun, or the moon, is so strong in its gravitational pull that it causes the oceans to be sucked over to it. As a result, we have the tides. And the tides um, help to create, um, it's a kind of an eco-balancing system with our Earth's atmosphere and our temperature. And so you have the, the tilt of the earth and the moon and all of which to where God has created a universe that is fit for us, where we have four seasons. I know that may be a little scientific, but I got excited while thinking about that stuff. I think, how cool is that? How cool that God made the earth and the, the sun and not too far, not too close, just perfectly um, situated. So God is so wise. 
He's kind in giving us his the four seasons if you live here in Missouri. He's still kind if you lived elsewhere, but um, you still do have the, uh, the winds and stuff that keep the earth from get, getting too hot. But God's great works are wise, even just in other things of creation. I'm just going to mention them, but God's laws of nature, uh, you have a lot more smart people in here that could tell you all the different laws of nature, the laws of gravity and physics and thermodynamics, and all these things are laws. I mean, they're things that God made. That governs the universe. Praise the Lord. So verse 3, it says, Full of splendor and majesty is his work. So when I think of splendor and majesty, I think of that they're kind of words of uh, beauty. Uh, terms that describe maybe a glory, a glory. So just in your mind's eye or in your thoughts there, to consider God's creation. I mean, what do you think of when you hear majesty? When you hear glory? Things in God's creation. I mean, I think of... Even a little bit of the, the, the uh, sunset that we saw this evening. I don't know if any of you saw it. Just beautiful. We have, uh, I think of mountains with snow-topped mountains or, or the vastness of the oceans. Um, g- going out and seeing trees, uh, the, the redwoods. These things are full of splendor and majesty. And again, all that God does and all that God has created is a reflection of him. If the redwoods are great, how much greater is God, Right? But we, we should see, my encouragement is that we would slow down a little bit to consider God's works of creation, not, even, not just tonight, but in coming days, and have that simple faith like a child and just say, wow, praise the Lord. Thank you, God. So that is the application of these things. A few other verses here as well. In Acts 14, 17, it says that God has given us a witness of himself by giving us rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying our hearts with food and gladness. I mean, it's kind of just what I said, food and the seasons and God giving us good things. It's a testimony. The Bible says it, it's a witness that God has given to the earth uh, and, to the, and to the whole world. Nobody will ever be able to say on judgment day, God, you're too harsh. You're too severe. You are too unkind. No, God has lavished this earth with mercy and with grace, which is what verse 4 says, that the Lord is gracious and merciful. We see that even in creation. I mean, God did not have to create such a good earth for us. Uh, When we sinned, yes, there were consequences on this earth. There was death. There was um, pain and childbirth. There was labor and toil. But for the most part, our bodies are not as affected with sin as they could be. I mean, of what hell is going to be like for an eternity. Instead, for, the, for a lot of times, we have health. We have strength. We have the ability to move and learn and grow. And I could go on and on about the human body, the ecosystem, the water cycle, all of these things, God's great works. So church family, consider creation. And in considering him, have it lead us to praise and to worship him. I would urge you to, to do that tomorrow, do that tonight. Put this into practice that we would consider God's works in creation. Now for our second point. Following uh, from verse 5 where it says, He provides food for those who fear him. So from that word provide, we get our word um, providence from the word provide. And so I wanted to give a, so our second point is to ponder providence. 
ponder God's work of providence. So it's not really a word that we use too often, so I wanted to define it for us. So providence is the outworking of God's sovereignty in the world. It is really just his sovereignty put into practice. And his sovereignty, if we remember, is his right and his um, his power to rule over all things. So God's providence, it is him upholding the world, directing the world, and governing the world, big and small, so that all things will accomplish his sovereign will. So there's a, a book written by God, uh, uh, on providence from John Piper. It is a thick, thick book. And so we could have sermons upon sermons upon the providence of God, but I'm just going to have to touch upon it for a few minutes. Um, but one quote that I, uh, I read from R.C. Sproul about God's providence, he says this, If you don't believe that God ordains everything that comes to pass, bottom line, you don't believe in God. Brings out this idea of God for who he is as being God, he is sovereign. And in sovereign, he doesn't just claim, oh, I have authority over that. He has authority. He uses and uh, he directs all things. Uh, the, The quote continues. He says, if there is one maverick molecule in the universe... And that's one molecule running loose out so that, uh, outside the scope of God's sovereign orda- ordination. Then, ladies and gentlemen, there is not the slightest confidence that you and I can have that any promise of, of God that he has made will ever come to pass. So you maybe heard that about that, that there's no maverick molecule. There's not even the smallest thing that God does not govern over, that God is not in charge over. He does not direct it. And so, again, we call this providence. And so providence is a great work of God, not only, and again, in the creation of the world, but in the sustaining and the influencing and the governing of this world. It is in the present tense. Um, We are not deists here. We don't believe that God made this great world in the past and he made it with all these laws and he cranked it up and he just let it go to its course. No, again, we believe in the living God the God who is involved in our lives, the God who is providentially ruling all things. And um, we remember Hebrews 1.3, talking of Jesus Christ, it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Praise the Lord. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He keeps all things running. Um, or it doesn't just keeps them running. Uh, He actually sees that they happen and he directs them according to his sovereign plan. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for God's sovereignty. A few things that God is sovereign over, we see, this one blows my mind, but we could talk about it for so long. God is sovereign over sin. This holy God who, who can't be in the presence of sin, yet he uses it to accomplish good. So we just heard from uh, Mike Rice a couple, was, I think it was last week on, uh, or two weeks ago, on the story of Joseph, right? We see that the, the wrong done by the brothers, their sinful intentions, but from the beginning, it was part of God's plan to have Joseph being sold into slavery so that he could end up becoming the second in command in Egypt so that God could provide food for the known world, but particularly for the nation that he was growing, the people of Israel. So God had this huge plan, um, but he accomplished it through 
the sin of people. That's amazing. The highest example, I think, as well, is in Acts 2.23, where it says that Jesus was delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. I mean, God did not make the Romans or make Pilate crucify his only son. That was their true volition. That was their will, but yet he, that was part of his plan from the beginning. So, God is sovereign everywhere, and he exercises that in this world, even over sin. And that should give us great assurance because, um, well, Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So it's not that God has a plan B. It's not that God just takes the, the things as they come and says, oh, no, what am I going to do about this? God, one of his great works is providence. He orchestrates and ordains all things for your good but for the best of all things, which is for God's own glory. So a few other examples of God's providence, uh, which again, I think shows his great power and his wisdom. I mean, I have a hard enough time governing my own heart at times and considering, should I do this action or this action? Because if I do this, then it'll lead to this. But God simultaneously ordains the smallest of all details, the falling of a, of a sparrow, or uh, the greatest of all things, but he has a sovereign plan over everything. It blows the mind, but I think it's fun to think about at times, to think how God, how could God use, you could ask yourself this, when something happens that you don't understand why, or or maybe you say, how how could God use this for, in his plan? And John Piper, I I don't have the quote uh, in front of me, but it says that through every small thing that you see in life, God is accomplishing 10,000 things through it. That's incredible. It's incredible that God in his providence is ordaining every single little detail and nothing is lost, nothing is misplaced, no two wires are crossed. Perfect ordination, perfect providence. Praise the Lord. So God is providential in nature. Um, There's a story that I heard from a, a dear brother of a lady who lived um, many years ago. I don't remember when it was, but she, uh, she had um, a pain, a strong arthritis in her hand. And she prayed and cried earnestly to the Lord for the Lord to deliver her of her arthritis, these pains in her hand. But amazingly, we see God's providence over nature. And that one day when she was out folding up, uh, putting out laundry on the line, some of you guys don't even know about that. Um, there's some bees that attacked her and began stinging her hand, a bunch of bees. And she was trying to push them away and she got away from her hands, but her hands were burning because of the, the stings from the bees. And she said, why, Lord, why would you do this? I mean, she was a woman of prayer. She was led to the Lord in prayer. But in God's providence, not saying this is going to happen to any of you, but how God sent those bees to sting her hand after the stings went away, God cured her of her hand, her hand pain and never came back. Praise the Lord. What God, you know, God is providential in nature. I mean, we know the story of Elijah. God used ravens to feed Elijah. God ordains nature uh, according to his sovereign plan. God is providential and powerful over Satan and demons. Um, I like to consider that at times whenever maybe a difficulty comes into uh, my life and to think, well, Maybe God 
brought this into my life to save me from something worse. Maybe to save me from, uh, to keep me spiritually safe or to guard me from a sin or to protect me from the evil one. We don't know. I think this is going to be one of our joys in heaven. I think we're going to be able to look back and see and be in awe of every single little detail that God brought into our lives. And I don't think, I mean, we're still going to be human. Where our minds would explode if God just, as soon as we got there, downloaded all that information. But I, I think over time we're going to see um, maybe, I don't know, we go to a movie theater and one night it's going to be Susan's life for one day or whatever. And we're just going to be awed at all the things that God did in one life of one of his believers. I mean, we're going to be, we're, we're going to have eternity seeing all of God's powerful providential leading in all of our lives. Um, more things that we could say. Uh, on God's providence. But leading into a, kind of our next point, consider for a moment in God's providence, what led you even here today? What led you to come to have a faith and a trust in Christ when many people haven't? God's providence in directing your steps so that we're here tonight, so that we're studying God's word rather than going and trying to fill up on sin and yet never being satisfied. I mean, God has brought us here tonight. Praise the Lord. He has directed us. He's in so many different ways, but particularly in bringing us to himself. Um, well, I have many personal examples of providence, and I'm, I'm sure you guys do as well. I need to share at least one, though, because it's so cool. I mean, last time we were on a trip down to uh, to Florida, and... Uh, and, and long story short, we got a flat tire, but it was in a part of the road where there was hardly any gas stations around. But you know where God caused the flat tire? Right by that one gas station, not 20 miles back, not 20 miles up there, right by the gas station. It was a, an immediate one where it was like, oh, wow, we're going flat. Praise the Lord. We're right there. And then there was a man who ended up coming and helping us and patching it, which was all part of God's providential plan. But we share stories with one another. I mean, God is so kind. So again, God's providence. What does this teach us about God? He's kind. He's powerful. He's wise. He's loving. And uh, an encouragement for us is to ponder God's providence. And then as we ponder providence, it's going to lead us another alliteration, to praise. So ponder, providence, praise. So praise God for his providence in our lives. So a quick side note, uh, as far as applications or encouragements in relation to this doctrine of providence, church family, reject altogether any notion of luck. When you hear luck, just think, God, God's providence. Um, and even when an opportunity with coworkers, you could say, where you could say, I don't believe in luck. Can you, I mean, I, I praise God for every, every kind thing he does in my life, whatever, use it as an opportunity, but reject luck and instead give God credit in your life and in other people's lives for God's powerful providence. Um, and then also, I mean, just application, trust God. You don't know what's going on. You don't know why God brought this difficulty into your life. Trust God. Trust him looking back at his faithfulness and trust him in his character that he is leading and directing all things for your good and for his glory.
So we've seen so far, we are considering creation, we're pondering providence, and then our last point is we will remember God's redemption. We need to remember redemption. So I get the idea of one of redemption as being the third work of God in these verses from verse 9, where it says, He sent redemption to his people. So this is one topic which, praise God, in this church, we focus a lot on. Another word for redemption could be salvation or God's grace. We, it is God's working in us spiritually. It is the new birth. It's regeneration. It is God's working in our lives, redemption. And um, this will be the theme of heaven's praises. Uh, yes, we will be praising God for his creation and for his providence, but salvation and redemption is the song that right now they are singing praises to the great I am in heaven for his redemption, for his salvation. And um, so again, I feel kind of guilty for only spending 10 minutes on it, but it's touching on the topic of just that we get a full broad spectrum of all of God's great works. So we see it in our text as well in verse 6, where it says, He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. If we put ourselves back in the shoes of Israel back in the day, they would have remembered God's great power in giving them an unskilled people that were not skilled in uh, military or in um, uh, tactics by any means, and God had them conquer lands that were not their own, that were filled with giants and people of great warfare. God's power was seen in them um, overtaking the promised land and God giving them the land of Israel um, and giving them the inheritance of the nations. But um, verse 9 as well, where it says, he sent redemption to his people. I think what would have occurred in their minds was the redemption of God bringing them out of slavery, bringing them out of bondage, bringing them out of Egypt. But now as New Testament believers, we can have that same application in our lives, right? Of remembering what God has done by bringing us out of the bondage of sin, bringing us out of slavery to this world, opening our eyes to see reality, seeing our sin. And I I think actually in the consideration of all of God's great deeds, I think when we remember the, where God take, took us out of and what we deserve, I think it brings a whole new dimension upon God's great works. Because if, if we just think about for a moment who we are naturally when we come into this world, uh, we're dead in our sins. We're guilty before God. Uh, God would be just to condemn us uh, to hell. We were in a, in a pit of sin that we wouldn't be able to escape in and of ourselves. And so if we consider and think about our sin against this good God, then we could say, wow, God, why would you do anything good to me? Why would you be kind to me in the least of which? I mean, God shows his, his, his tenderness and his kindness in giving good things to um, you know, his unredeemed sinful people in this world. But uh, even for us now as, as Christians, understanding who we are And what we deserve says, wow, God has been infinitely merciful, infinitely gracious. And I think, uh, yeah, that's the the, the best example that we can see of God's uh, redemption or of God's salvation. It's the cross. 
It's the cross, I think. Now, there's other examples of ways in which we see it the day of Pentecost with the, the giving of the Spirit. But the cross, I think, is where we see God's powerful uh, salvation and redemption. I like the picture, um, what we read in, in John 18, where it says, Jesus, Jesus said, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? We know that on the cross, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. And this cup was not small. Because we know that sinners will be drinking the cup of God's wrath for all of eternity and will not be able to, to drink it down to the, to the end of it, down to the dregs, as they say. One sinner won't ever be able to quench all of God's wrath for all of eternity. But to consider how many myriads upon unfathomable amounts of sinners did Christ redeem by his death on the cross. He didn't just have one cup. It wasn't a reduced hell sentence for every Christian. It was the entirety of the full cup of the wrath of God for every individual believer for all of, all of time. We can't get our minds wrapped around the power of Christ. For my children, I, I try to give them visuals to get into their minds and showed them a picture of one time of this water dam, which they can't, but they see there's a big old river. There's a huge lake on one side, and you see this big dam, and you see the little trees down at the bottom that are so tiny. And, and to imagine that water, the dam of all this water breaking, and there was a human being right at the bottom of that. I mean, you wouldn't even be able to tell. Just houses, towns, villages swept away. But to consider God's wrath is greater than that, than that ocean of water. And one day, actually it happened on that cross, the dam of God's wrath was opened. And standing at the bottom of that dam was Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. And not one drop of water got past him. He drank all of it and he took it on himself. It's, in, it's unfathomable. Unfathomable, the redemption of Christ the price that he paid for the curse of our sin. Praise the Lord. Again, we're going to spend eternity pondering that, um, trying to get our minds wrapped around the greatness of Christ and his sacrifice on that cross. So lastly, in, in thinking through this salvation and redemption that God gives us, Again, I'm bringing all of this out about the works of, the, uh, of God so that we would consider God's character. So what does salvation tell us about who God is? So I see God's love. God not doing that for us, not doing that for himself, but for us. God loved us and gave himself up for us. We see in the work of God's redemption, we see God's mercy, right? Not God not giving us what we deserve, but in fact, giving what we deserve to someone else, giving and taking it upon himself. We see in God's salvation and redemption, we see God's grace. God gives us good things. He not only took our wrath, but he gives us himself. He gives us all the benefits of being in a union with God. The Bible says we're actually co-heirs with Christ. All that belongs to God now belongs to us in Christ unfathomable, amazing grace. We see, uh, we already mentioned God's power in, in taking all the weight of, of sin and wrath upon himself. Uh, we see the majesty of Christ, the, the thing that the king of all the universe humbled himself. 
and became obedient to his father uh, on that cross. This is, this is just a small scratching of the surface of just reminding ourselves of the great works of God in redemption. So hopefully none of that or some of that is, is news to you. But church family, the encouragement for all of this, we have to think about this. We have to ponder it, consider it, remember it, because in doing so, it will um, change the way that we live. Because we don't have time to go through all of it, but the next chapter, Psalm 112, is all about uh, how the righteous person will live in light of God's works. It's a refl- being a reflection of who God is. That is the, the next psalm. But the application for us in, again, just considering the works of, of the Lord, um, we need to think about these things. And in doing so, letting it, it going back to verse 1 and back uh, to verse 2, it ought to lead us to praise God. Praise God for his works. We ought to give thanks to God for the way that what God has done, how it affects us. Again, hopefully we can put that into practice here in a few minutes. But some other application points through all of this as well is seen in verse 7, where it says that all of God's precepts are trustworthy. And verse 8, they are to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Let me just summarize that. In light of God's works, Christian, uh, you ought to work as well. You ought to not only intentionally fill your minds with the truth, but God expects you to obey. He says that all of God's precepts are to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. I mean, is it justifiable, justifiable by God to expect us to obey him in light of all that what he's done? We can't scream legalism. We can't say, oh, God's being demanding or too harsh. No, I mean, for us to obey God's good ways, I mean, that's just like, well, of course. Of course. In light of who God is, in light of all that he has done, obedience is the expectation. And lastly, verse 10. In light of all these things, church family, fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who practice it have a good understanding. The fear of the Lord in the sense that we ought to be in awe of this God. We ought to remember all these things when we come before him in prayer. Uh, It ought to lead us to great humility. It ought to lead us to great worship and great intentionality with our lives to being more focused upon him. Well, church family, all of our three points um, are to be put into practice remembering and having a lead us to worship, but we need God's help for all these things. I hope it's been a refreshing reminder considering God's works tonight, but um, you know what's going to happen tomorrow morning? Uh, about My slate gets clean every morning. It's kind of like, who am I again? And what am I doing here? We have to every day intentionally put these things into practice. And so as a lifestyle, may the Lord help us. May you ask for God's help to consistently, daily, choose to fill your minds with the truth of the works of God, that with the help of God, we would live lives of praise, worship, obedience, and awe of God. Let's pray.